Hello, everybody. My name is Austin Durr with the Teacher Empowerment Summit, and today I'm thrilled to welcome Ambrose WB to the summit. Ambrose is a health and fitness coach and founder of Mispebo Fitness. He's the director of a Milwaukee-based nonprofit called Sky Schools that specializes in teaching tools for stress management and emotional regulation. He believes the opportunity for entrepreneurship and education is needed now. So welcome to this, Ambrose. Thanks, Austin. Appreciate it. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Uh, where are you calling in from today? Milwaukee, Wisconsin, but specifically I'm in my office at my home. Um, oh, great. Um, I'm in Milwaukee too. We're Milwaukee neighbors. <laughs> awesome. Uh, what's the most recent school that you've been in? Actually, this is a question that we ask all of our, our uh, participants. Yes, I actually just got back from a meeting this morning I had over at Bayview High School. Okay, great. Fantastic. Um, cool. So let's just jump right into it uh, with the, the big picture um, empowerment question. So what is, for you, the most empowering idea that you want to share with our summit audience? Yeah, I think the way to sum it up is a sentence, self-care is caring for others. I can unpack that if you want a little bit. Absolutely, yeah, please. Yeah, so you know the work that we do uh, in school is primarily focused on the students, right? Giving the students skills and tools and resources. And I'm not an educator in the traditional sense of a teacher, but I'm a coach, educator, trainer, and after about two or three years in, I realized like, wow, I have to really start supporting my teachers. And as a coach, education um, or nutrition exercise, I realized like, wow, teachers aren't being taken care of. So the term that that's actually called in science, social science is called stress buffering. So the idea is that if you have a strong, competent, confident teacher, it literally impacts the outcome for the students. So right now, my main focus when I go to schools, even though I love working with the kids, is really to take care of the teachers. That's awesome. That's so good to hear because it seems like so often all of the focus is on the students, which is great, but the teachers tend to get forgotten about. Yeah, and we, we know it, right? We know it logically, but in practice, it's a little bit hard, right? But if the teacher is tired, depressed, burned out, education and learning can't take place so that's my that's my main message now that i've been saying for about a year is self-care is caring for others which we know inherently but having someone to help you to reinforce that i think is really important yeah absolutely okay so let's uh let's drill down into this a little bit more and uh, you had three general areas to talk about stress stress management i think was the first one so let's yep. just jump into that yeah, so that's probably the, the last uh, skill that I brought up or got in my, in my career the last five or six years of stress management. So what we actually do, uh, the Sky Schools part, is we go into schools and we work with the entire school as a student, uh, staff, and also parents. And we give techniques. And techniques are based around targeted breathing exercises. So we have the psychological component, which are things like life skills, teamwork, commitment, hard work. You know, things that everyone can benefit from. But the way that we're different is we offer very experiential learning through breathing practices. So we're talking about stress on a neurological level here. So we, at, let's say for baby, for instance, we actually do morning breathing every day for about five minutes before school even starts. 
Um, and at certain schools, they might do that practice once or twice a day. And at our middle school, they typically do it after lunch. So for stress management, it's coming into schools, working with teachers, saying to them, hey, before your meeting gets going, let's just take two minutes to do some breathing exercises so that we can become more clear and focused for the work we're going to do today. So that's the biggest thing that I think uh, I enjoy because it's free, right? Being mindful is free, whereas nutrition exercise takes a little more time and effort. But uh, I think it's also the most impactful. Interesting. So when the students are doing these breathing exercises, do they do it all together as a class? Or how does that work? What does that look like? Great question, right? So we, when we come into a school, our first point of entry is with administration. So we work with maybe the principal, their leadership team. We give them an experience. We work with the entire staff. We give the, the staff an experience as well. And hopefully they go to a deeper experience with what we call our educator course. It's like a nine-hour course. Hmm. Once we have a critical number of teachers, we come into the school, work with the students too. So the students get typically either a nine to a 30-hour curriculum of our program, which includes the life skills and breathing training. And then after the school has a certain critical number of students, we offer what's called daily breathing. So right now, over the loudspeaker, a student or a staff member actually leads the entire school for, for the breathing practice. So that's 900 kids at the high school, uh, not, not, another 900 kids are at the middle school as well, all at the same time. Wow, that's powerful. That's yeah. great. Do you have any, um, any way to assess whether or not the breathing exercises are doing what you want them to do? It's a great question. So that's where we're getting some more, some more um, I guess, learnings around that. In the public schools, it's a little bit harder. We actually, right now, we have an IRB-approved study that we did with UCLA for Baby High School. We can't publish the results just yet, but we're able to say, I can say right now that I see the changes, but as far as getting to be at the level of uh, research, we're still going there. Uh, with, our, with our charter schools that we work with, we're able to get data a lot more quickly. And it's really clear that when we aren't there, is more notice. For example, when we do the breathing, it becomes just natural and status quo. But if there's ever a day that I'm out of town or I can't make it to the school, what happens the next day is everyone comes up to me and says, Amos, where you been, man? Where you been at? And I go, whoa, whoa, what's going on? What, was that? what happened? They go, that breathing, man, I need that breathing. So they see when we're not there, our spikes actually in infractions. Behavior infractions spike when we're not there. Um, so this is a very new fields we can't say it's only based upon us and our practices but i do have a lot of anecdotal evidence that when we're not there the climate of the school is different very cool uh, can we do a quick breathing exercise right now maybe 10 seconds 100 percent. yeah yeah for sure ready yep ready all right so the main thing that we teach is how to activate what's called the vagus nerve i won't go to the science of it but the vagus nerve has the opportunity or the the mechanism to turn off your fight or flight response. We typically all trigger that when we go to sleep at night. I'm gonna lead you to do a really quick practice, okay? Okay. Say the word hello. Hello. That's using your vocal cords, right? This mm -hmm. time, don't use your vocal cords, just whisper the word instead. Hello. Hello. Now you're just pushing air, you felt that? Do it one more time, whisper hello. Hello. Great, now close your mouth and just push air from your nose. 
gray. Now, the question, can, can you hear that sound in your own head? Mm -hmm. I can. Very good. Now, focus on the sound now. Make the same sound as you breathe in through your nose. So you just close your eyes there? Mm-hmm. It makes you just want to relax, right? So yeah. you're doing that. It's called Ujjayi breath, right? It's a very old breathing technique. It's a Sanskrit word for victory. So with our kids and our students, our teachers, we call it victory breath. So you breathe in through your nose, out from your nose, making that sound. Do that six times for me, Austin. Let me know how you feel. Do six complete breaths. Nice and gently. Take your last breath. And in your own time, open your eyes. Wow. Uh, about halfway through, I, I my mind was kind of thinking, uh, maybe I could just quit halfway through. But I kept going, and then like for the second half, it was even more powerful than the first half. It was really interesting. Yeah, that, that, that's where coaching comes in, right? So that's yeah. called breath. That's usually our first experience of breathing with people. And it's a little bit longer how we do it, but we go from regular breath to this targeted breathing. And people understand, like, oh, this is different. Breathing's our only mechanism as opposed to our – eyes blinking, our heart pumping, our blood flowing, our food digesting. Mm. We have conscious control over it. It's both automatic and we can control it at the same time. So we forget about it. It's a little bit of focus on your breathing. You have that choice. Do I stop or do I continue? At the end of doing victory breath, people tend to feel a lot more calm and a lot more focused. Yeah. Wow. That was really, really nice, actually. Thank you for sharing that. <laughs> yeah, no problem. <laughs> I, I hope that everybody watching this summit takes a minute and even just pause the video and do some victory breaths. That'd be great. That'd be awesome. Yeah. All right. Cool. Let's, um, you want to move on to the next step or do you have any more thoughts on, on breathing? Yeah. I mean, I'd say for people, you know, you could look at it online, you can watch videos, but I like what you just said. I keep using the word experience. It's an actual thing that you can do. So I would say get your opportunity to get an experience of it. And uh, you probably even say this a lot too, find a coach. Mm. Coaches, teachers help kids as a coach. I help people as an educator or as a nutrition exercise coach. Don't just do it for yourself because like you said, you might quit. You might have a bad experience. So do it yourself and also be encouraged by getting someone to help you. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. Okay, great. So the next one on the list was exercise right yeah yeah so that that's my that's my primary background so i played high school football ran track played division one football uh wanted to be a, a coach for football and history teacher and because i was a real skinny kid growing up i just knew that i wanted to be a better coach than my coaches were i had great coaches but i didn't understand how to get bigger and stronger and faster when i was younger so i got certified as a coach for uh personal trainer and once I stopped coaching football, I just continued as personal trainer. And that ended up being my career for the last 13 years is helping people understand how to move better. And I'm really glad that you're talking about your, your, your experience as a coach and a trainer 
because I think that there's a lot of crossover between the way uh, trainers and coaches help people to grow as people and the way teachers help people to grow as people. Um, And so I was wondering if you could share any insight into it, especially for our audience in the summit who are uh, mostly uh, classroom teachers, what can they do? What strategies from coaching can they take uh, and use in their classrooms? Awesome. Early on, I realized that, you know, being young, I was so in my body. I was a big, strong, you know, a lot bigger than I am right now, football player. And I didn't realize that until I started working with my clients who were typically over 65, 65 to 92 was my oldest client. Mm-hmm. So they weren't going to be doing barbell back squats and running sprints the way I thought. So I didn't understand where they're coming from. So the, I always use this up with, my, with myself moving forward from that time. People change for two reasons, I find. Inspiration or desperation. So a lot of my older clients at that time, they were really concerned and worried about being re- retired. And I found being really just blunt, dying early. So they started to become interested in being active after they retired. So they were not always from a desperate situation, but typically it was like, I don't want for this bad thing to happen to me. On the flip side, working with high school kids, they were mostly working from an inspiration point. They wanted to become football players like I would become a football player. So it's always, when I meet a new client, I'm always trying to figure out which one of those things is what I call their activator. Are they going to become more inspired? Are they more just trying to run up from something that they're desperate from? I don't care either way. We all have our own emotional triggers. But education, early on, I didn't realize this. I started using that in education about three years ago. So now my first thing when I work with kids and teachers to figure out which one do they want to, to go towards. They're running towards something or away from something. Yeah. If I can figure what that thing is, I can be a better coach, a better educator. Cool. I like that. So motivation is basically, it's based on, are you, what are you running towards or running, what are you running away from? Yeah, it's, it's an internal thing, right? That, that's something that only they can decide. People think, oh, you're a trainer, you should be motivational. It's like, well, that, that takes a lot of work. That's what they have to do for you every single time, every single day. If I can figure out the inspiration piece or the desperation piece, that's going to pull you or push you towards your goal. Mm-hmm. And that motivating you becomes a lot easier for me because I know exactly what buttons to push to help you get to where you want to be. So do you have any strategies that you use to figure out what somebody's personal motivation is? Great question. So I think the quickest way to do it, if you have the ability to I believe it came from Toyota, you might have heard this before. Toyota has a so-called process of why. Have you heard of this? I'm somewhat familiar with it, but go on. Great. So it goes like this, right? So I asked you, let's say you're trying to, you know, either lose weight or gain weight, get stronger, right? Pick your poison. You want to, you want to get stronger. You want to lose weight. Me, I want to get stronger. Very good. Right. So, so I'm a skinny guy, right? Me too. Right. So most skinny guys want to get stronger. Right. So I'll say, great. How, you know, like, what do you want to get stronger in? Like, what's going to be your measure of, of strength? Uh, for me, it's, uh, it, I'm a rock climber. So it, being able to climb longer and harder routes would be awesome. my measure of strength. Great. You want to do the whole thing, but let's just do three of them, right? So you ask the same question five times. So you write that down, right? Austin wants to be able to climb harder routes, needs to become stronger, have more endurance. Right. Right? And I'll say, Why? Uh, because the harder routes 
usually have more interesting moves and so they end up being uh, more fun. Great. So there we go. So now we're moving away from endurance and strength to having fun, right? Austin wants to do X, Y, and Z because it's more fun. Why is it important for you to have fun when you're doing rock climbing? Because that inspires me to keep doing it and then also to like leave the gym and go climbing outdoors and uh, travel to new places. See how we're getting deeper? Yeah. Why getting deeper, right? So now we're away from getting stronger and even away from rock climbing. Now we're on inspiration and travel. So at the end of that five why process, the person that's coming into me is completely moved from that first idea. And with most men that I work with, what it comes down to is to be stronger so they can protect and provide for their families. Mm. Mm -hmm. If that's the goal, then doing biceps isn't as important. If I tell a dad, hey, take a break. Hey, Austin, I saw this thing with the rock climbing trip in Chicago. If I give that to you now, that aligns with your goal at a very deeper level. It's travel, it's fun, and it's also giving you the goal that you have to climb more interesting routes. Yep. So it's called the process of why. They use that at Toyota and they saw a jump in productivity. So I've taken that little worksheet and used that who knows, I mean, hundreds of times with clients and even for myself in my own goal setting. Do you think that that would work in a classroom for helping students to be more motivated in their academics? 100%. Here's where it's hard with, with young people. I'm talking about, you know, brain science now. Uh, so we're teaching mindfulness. We go into things like body sensation, emotions, thoughts. Thoughts for a young person, when they're under stress, literally are not able to shut down their fight or flight response. They might feel like we're interrogating them. Remember, I kept, so I kept asking you why, right? You know, you're right. like, all right, someone's asking you, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there? You know, you're like, but kids are very inquisitive, right? And adults are able to say, okay, this person wants to know more. They want to be at this place, right? So for young people, I would, I would suggest that making sure you have their buy-in first, explain the process, but the experience of it is also a little bit challenging. You might've felt a little bit of challenge for me there. I'm not really sure, but it's not easy to do that practice, right? But I think for young people, knowing their purpose right now is so interesting because everyone says to them, live your passion. I don't necessarily agree with that because it's like your passion for what? It's pretty abstract. It's very abstract. So this practice gets you down to a place. I care for people who struggle. Like I struggle and my goal is to help people not struggle the same exact way. Whether that's nutrition or exercise or stress management, it all aligns with helping people know what I didn't know as a young person. That's my only goal. Share things that I wish I knew when I was younger. That's great. Uh, wow. I like that a lot. I, that's a lot to digest. I'm going to have to watch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's great. Um, do you, are you ready to move on to the next point on lifestyle and nutrition? Or do you have any more thoughts? No, that's pretty good. Exercise, I just say to people, you know, for me, it was limit, It was uh, getting out of my limited view of what exercise was. As a college athlete, we exercised all day with a job. I had a really hard time from going from two-hour workouts to hour workouts by myself without my team to now, honestly, I do home workouts. You know, I'm a lot older. 
don't have that much time. I'll say for most people is to create your own idea of what exercise is and be okay with doing the minimum. Because if you're just doing the minimum, at least you're doing something. Yeah. To make it really practical, not only that, but the minimum might be enough. Let me give you an example. Let's say if you have a headache, right? If I give you a hundred pills for your headache, is that appropriate? Uh, probably not. You might only need two pills, right? Right. So no, no one goes to the doctor and says, doctor, give me all the medicine that I need. It's <laughs> a minimum effective dosage. Right. That could be better. So for me and you, maybe we sit down all day in our, in our desk, right? Maybe for us, it's just stretching our hip flexors and working on our posture every day. That could take five minutes. That's our minimum effective dosage. Then we're not so busy. We can go rock climbing or we can go do some squats and push-ups. But being minimally effective will help us go rock climbing or help me go to the gym at some point. I do nothing at all, though. I have to start over again every single time. And that's people start, they start to quit and failure sets in. Mm. Minimal dosage is really practical because it's all your body needs. The, the idea of doing more is usually going to be uh, a logical thing or illogical thing or an emotional thing. Uh, okay. Um, uh, let's stay on this topic of exercise a little bit longer. I've got another thought. Sure. Uh, because a lot of schools these days don't give their students a lot of exercise. I mean, they might have PE class once or twice a week or even not that frequently. So what can teachers do uh, to help their students get a little bit of exercise or physical activity during the day? That, and keeping in mind that a lot of teachers are already pressured uh, with the academic schedules. What's something yeah. that's pretty easy to implement? Perfect, right? So when I, when I talk to a client, I'm typically, you know, I'm on my trainer here today. I got trained later on today. But I'm moving around the class. The trainer, you never sit down. You're always walking around. So what happens is if I'm aware, I'm being aware and mindful of my students' energy, I can just see their face. They're starting to so I just ask the class, what do you guys need right now? And they'll go, what do you mean? They have no idea what I mean by that. And I'll say, how about we just stand up and take 30 seconds? Yeah. They do that and they stretch. They might talk to a friend. I might even say, hey, give somebody a high five, right? Something. And they sit back down and ask them, how do you feel now? They all say, I feel a lot more awake. So I give my students permission to, to do that. I say, you can do it subtly too. Get up, sharpen your pencil. Get up, throw away paper in the trash, right? Get up, if you're able to do this in certain schools, get up, get some water. If you feel something getting tired, you can just stand up. If you just stand up, you're gonna feel a lot better. Also, what you can do in the class is just stretch with them in the class. Open your arms up, hug yourself, twist side to side. Depending on the group of the age group, you might have to get more creative or less creative, right? But that's something really simple that we know. Moving your body is gonna change your your physical state is gonna impact your emotional state and your energy level. So don't have to get crazy. I have to go play dodgeball, play basketball. A quick 30 seconds can change the whole energy of the classroom. I like it. So a school that has breathing exercises plus periodic just physical breaks like that, that your students are going to be more – or how would you describe the students in a school like that? They're more aware. Yeah. They're more aware. 
you know? And, if it, and here's the thing. If a kid is really tired, I'm more aware of that. And I might let that kid take a nap. And here's the thing, right? A little bit different because it says for all educators. But if I see a kid completely just tired, I'm not going to call on that kid that much that day. I'm not going to bother them because what they need is to rest a little bit. But I'll coach them up afterwards and say, hey, what happened last night? What did you do last night? Fortnite. Yeah. <laughs> I noticed today you were really tired. How about the, how about tonight you get a little bit more sleep, drink a little bit more water. Let's see how we are tomorrow. So giving people space for what they need is important. Whether that's being more active, maybe not being really active that day is important. So I think the kids respect that and honor that if we honor them. Mm, I like that. That's acknowledging that we all arrive at school with our own kind of baggage. And if, if teachers can recognize that and, and respect that, then the students will also respect the space more too. Yeah. Yeah. I tell kids all the time, right? I'm coming to a class and I say to a kid, Hey, look, I'm late today. I'm feeling a little bit uh, bad about that. So do me, be, be fair with me for a little while until I get my wits about me. I came late to a class last week. I completely just couldn't catch up, right? Mm-hmm. The kid told me after class, she did some breathing exercises. <laughs> <laughs> they were joking, but they, I mean, that's right, right? If I would have asked them, hey, you might have to just do a little bit of breathing right now before we start class so I can get myself together. They would have said, okay. So now I'm aware of that because that's what we do. And they're actually expecting it from me because I am the breathing guy at most of the schools that I go to. Yeah. That's great. The students are bought into it now. So that's powerful. Yeah. They asked for it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cool. Okay. Let's uh, move on to lifestyle and nutrition. Yeah. Very good. So that's the piece. That's the middle piece, right? So I, I focus my business on these three things, which is why, you know, the work that I do now serve as a volunteer is very closely aligned to it. Right. So if you aren't taking care of your body, either by how you move or how you eat, it's going to affect your output. So nutrition is one that's really interesting because, you know, in the school system, you, you're, giving, you're giving food, right? So I can't say for the kids, you know, do X, Y, and Z. They can't buy their own food sometimes. But for staff, I definitely can well say you are in control of what you eat. So first thing for educators I look at is their uh, morning routine. Are you eating breakfast or not? Either one's a bad thing or a good thing depending upon the rest of your day. But a lot of educators wake up late. That's lifestyle, right? Sleep is lifestyle, right? Maybe they work too long or they go out at night. Maybe they drink. I don't really know. Now that affects their sleep. Now they're getting up in the morning. and That affects the rest of their day. So I really focus on sleep for lifestyle. And the nutrition piece is really interesting, Austin, is that a lot of people know what they should do for nutrition now. Ten years ago, it was still, it still was new for people. I meet the average client, they know exactly what they should do. The question is, why aren't you doing it? And that's where habits come in. So lifestyle and nutrition are really gonna be about your habits. So simple habit I give people for nutrition is to drink half your body weight in ounces of water. If you weigh 180, eat drink 90 ounces of water. It might include tea, might include your coffee, right? Yep. And that completely changes the way that you show up in the world. You're going to see yourself be a lot more energetic. You're probably going to drink a lot less maybe of like things like soda or juices. Um, and then we just start really small with a habit like water. That might add on other habits. And the idea is that those things will affect your lifestyle. 
but it can't happen all in one strong push. Typically takes little habits done well every day for a long time. Yeah, that's good. I like that. Um, I, I believe that habits are a powerful effector of our lives. And someone told me this story once, maybe you've heard this. Um, habits are like, um, like, have you ever seen a, a backyard that's fenced in and there's a dog that lives back there and the dog has worn a path around the backyard? Yeah. It's like dirt path with, and then there's grass. And our brains are kind of like that. The more we do something, the more we wear that path in our brain. Yep. And so once you have that habit established, whether it's a good habit or a bad habit, that's why it can be hard to change it. And that's why it takes rep, reps and reps and reps, repetitions to yeah. create these new habits. I bet you use the word rep. So that's a term that we use in mindfulness program. It's called neuroplasticity. Mm. Our brain is moldable. This is like new stuff at Austin, right? So this is something that we did not believe 20 years ago. We used to think that, oh, we're old people. We can't learn new things. Remember that saying, old dogs can't learn new tricks? Yep. That's not true. Neuroplasticity says that if you have a habit that's grooved, what it's going to take you to do is groove a new habit, but that other habit is still there. It becomes weakened now, so it becomes stronger. Once kids learn this idea, it's called growth mindset, I believe, uh, Brene Brown's a big advocate for this. It's really popular. But the idea is that it's not a logical thing. It's an actual practice. So when you say getting reps in, I really like that because when you go to the gym, you get reps in. You can't think about working out and get better, get stronger, no matter how smart you are. You have to actually do the work, right? Right. If you do too much work, right, too early, you can hurt yourself with weight training, right? Here's the harbor I feel like in education Sometimes the idea that we have for ourselves is the self-care part now, right? It's just too high. That's where coaching comes in for feedback. Mm -hmm. I only sleep six hours a night right now. Going from six to nine hours is maybe not very practical. But going from six to six and a half hours, probably more, probably more likely to do that, right? And then we maybe can get up to eight hours and realize that nine hours isn't necessarily needed for me. So I love that you use the word rep. I was just throwing there the term is neuroplasticity. It's real. It's scientifically proven. And where mindfulness comes in with that is that if my mind is less stressed, I'm more able to continue doing things that are hard for me to do because I understand the reward in the end is okay. But the actual practice of doing it is the reward. So that got me super excited. You said that that way. Yeah. Oh, that's perfect. And that's, so that kind of brings everything together, right? How, uh, doing breathing exercise helps to reduce the level of stress, which enables us to continue to do challenging activities throughout the day. Yes, exactly. Yeah. If I don't do my breathing in the morning, my day is different. I'm not saying I have a horrible day. Don't get me wrong. What I'm saying is that if I do my breathing practice in the morning, I am more mindful. So let's say for this, right, for self-care. Let's say if I can't work out for some reason, I can't prioritize that investment. I'm more gentle on myself about that. And then what do I do? I then sit down and plan. I have a journal. Right? I plan how to do something different the next day. So like next time that, you know, I have, I have a, a Zoom call, I'm going to give myself an extra window of time that was a little bit late today with me, right? 
And it's like, yeah, instead of getting mad about it, right? I can just realize that, tell it to you, be, be aware of that. But the idea is not to make the same mistake again in the future. And being mindful takes reflection. If you can reflect on what you're doing without being judgmental, that's what being mindful is. Being aware of what's happening right now, the present moment, without being judgmental about it. You feel better. You're able to do more of that thing that you want to do. Whether it's exercise, nutrition, education, rock climbing, right? So you definitely said that really well. It definitely all ties together in that way. Yeah, I like that a lot. And, and I like this, uh, this, the carryover between the idea, and, and which I think a lot of people are familiar with and doing repetitions and exercise. Like a lot of student athletes, they, they know that they've got to go to practice every day and they can see that they're getting better. But we don't necessarily think about academics in that way. But it's really every day that you study, every day you go to English class or math class, you're training your brain to get better at that stuff, whether you're aware of it or not. Yeah, you're, I mean, you're training your brain to do either things that you want to do that are, are going to be, I'm going to use the word pleasant, you know, or not pleasant, right? So for when I was a kid, I used to train my brain not to speak in class because I didn't think I spoke very well. I just wouldn't do it. But I knew enough to get minimum effective dosage. I would raise my hand enough to get a B, right? If I did that a few more times, I might get an A. So now when I go to speaking engagements, I actually have to sit down and get centered because I still don't like to talk in front of people. This for me is very hard to do still, interviews. But the reward from it, I know the reward is important. And the skill is also important to have. So you're right, man. So I speak, I speak in front of classes now on a weekly basis, and that repetition makes me feel more confident. And I'm still a shy kid like I was when I was 14 years old. Being able to hold those two thoughts in your head is really hard sometimes. But the idea of being okay with it is where I like the mindfulness practice. I'm strong right now. I want to get stronger. I'm good at rock climbing right now, and I want to get better at it as opposed to being mad that you're not where you want to be. That's where people usually quit because they get so frustrated. Mm. I like it. That's, yeah, I, I couldn't add any more to what you just said. That's <laughs> gotcha. um, I, let's do a quick uh, mock coaching session. Okay. Uh, I'm going to play the role of a stressed out teacher and uh, I'll just like, I'll, I'll tell you some things and, and, I'm interested to hear what advice you would give to a teacher um, that they could implement right away. So like today or tomorrow. Okay. Wow. Let's see. Let's go for it. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, hi, Ambrose. Um, my name is um, Mr. Smith for some reason. <laughs> uh, I'm Mr. Smith and I teach fourth grade math, but uh, my students have just been stressing me out lately. And I just like, I don't know. I think this might be my last year as a teacher. I just don't know if I can anymore uh, hey mr smith i'm sorry to hear that but i'm glad you came to talk to me about that um do you mind if i give you a little bit of advice yes please anything you have great so remember you were a part of our educator course we did last year remember that course vaguely yeah yeah okay so what we do as you know is we talk socratically right so i'm going to ask you some questions i'm going to pull the answer from you because you're the expert you have the answer i'd love to give you some feedback though in that way so let's do two things. Let's close your eyes for a moment. 
and I want you to complain about something. Just pick two things you complain about that never seem to change. Uh, Once you got those two things, open your eyes. You can even don't even have to tell me what you complain about. Once you have those two things, open your eyes. You have okay. those two. Got it. How does that make you feel? Uh, it makes me feel a little bit frustrated. Yeah. Give me two more words. Frustrated. What else? How do you feel when you complain? Uh, overwhelmed. Overwhelmed. One more thing. Uh, tired. Yeah, right? So we, we know this, how our body works, how our mind works. When we complain, we typically feel low energy, right? Yeah. So, not in the, here, I'm not saying complaining, as I said before, complaining is not bad, but if we only complain, we're going to feel that way. So you're not only complaining, you're actually showing growth minds by coming and talking to me, so thank you. So, close your eyes again. Do me a favor. Close your eyes again. Okay. Pick one person that you're grateful for. And once you have that person in mind, open your eyes. All right. How does that make you feel? Uh, it makes me feel um, relaxed and happy. Yeah. So I'm not saying when this young person is stressing you out, Mr. Smith, for you just to close your eyes and feel grateful, right? That's not what I'm saying, right? What I'm saying is that can we figure out some things about this young person that you see are assets. What do they do? Can you give me an example? What's this, what do they do well? Something that you actually like about this young person? Uh, they have a good sense of humor. Yeah, right, I'm sure, right? Probably the class clown, right? Yeah. So my question is, I even see your face, you're, you're smiling now. How can we nurture that skill? Nurture that asset that a person has and forget about the thing you don't like. If we put all our focus on there, you're gonna feel tired, frustrated, right? Low energy. But if you give this person some space to be funny, you're gonna probably laugh. They're gonna feel like a rock star. You might have some space with that person now to actually give them what you need to give them as their educator. That makes sense? Mm, yeah, it does. Awesome. So that's a part of a lesson that we use called Grateful complain. What's next is responsibility. It's your responsibility to take control of your own emotions. So having a gratitude practice, literally writing down what you're grateful for, we know this scientifically, it's proven, mm. makes you feel better, right? So we'll talk about being mindful. I use breathing primarily, but there's so many different ways that you can be mindful. And a gratitude practice is a really important one that I use every day with kids that I work with. The kids make me really frustrated. I have to really sit down and say to myself, okay, what's the asset there? What, do I, what about this kid that I actually like? It can be challenging, but you can always find something. And I focus on that one thing. And, it, and typically what happens is my rapport becomes better. And once a kid likes and trusts you, they tend to listen to you a lot better. Or people in general, especially children. Right. Ah, okay. That this is so good, Ambrose. I, I want to thank you again for sharing all of this great information. Um, but we are uh, getting close to the end of the interview, so okay. I wanted to give you. Um, I've got two more questions. So, okay. Uh, I want to give you a chance to share any um, what what your inspiring story is in terms of 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 personal success is what, what do you, what do you want to share with us about, um, about that? 
Yeah. So, you know, the work that we do is, it can be very subtle. You know, this is a, they might, might call it an alternative education strategy, right? Teaching mindfulness in schools, actually pausing, hitting the pause button where the whole school shuts down to do this. So letting someone like me come into a classroom and teach a curriculum for nine to 30 hours is really different, right? So the question is always, where's the data? How do you know that this works? What's the return on the investment? And sometimes I, I think to myself, right, I even say out loud, what's the return on investment for being a nice person? You only do it because it makes you get more money or bigger house or faster car, or do you do it because you know it's the right thing to do? So sometimes what I'm trying to say is that I go into a classroom to a new school and I'm questioning myself if it's going to work. Almost every time it's like, is this going to work this time? It worked the last 10 times. What's going to happen this time? So just about three weeks ago, we have a new partner school and uh, we're reporting back to the staff the findings that we have from our first semester delivery. So we met the, met the administration, gave the entire staff educator course, which is nine hours, a pretty big investment. And then we said, we're going to give you a report back on our uh, time with your sixth and seventh grade students. About 100 kids we worked with over the first semester ended in, ended in December, January. So I'm showing all the graphs, all the charts, all the, all the metrics. And then we put together a video of the kids speaking about the program in their own words. So very unscripted, open-ended questions. Just tell us what you think about the program. We didn't, self, we didn't pick the kids. They were self-selected. So we show this video, and it's really quiet. No one's talking. I'm in the front of the class, actually. And then we video's over. I turn around. I'm not, not kidding you. I have a small team, about 15 people. About five of the teachers were in tears. And what they said was, oh, my God, it, it works. <laughs> the same question I have for myself. And then I go to myself, of course it works. But the fact is that we don't know it's going to work, even though we do it so much. But that's always at the point in time where I can share back not only their experience, but the kids' experience. They seem to mirror each other. So what we're providing for people, everyone wants it, but it is out of our comfort zone. So it takes to have that moment of clarity. But that just happened for me about three, four weeks ago. And uh, really energized me to continue sharing the work and doing what we do here in Milwaukee. That's really cool. And yeah, it's, it's a fact that we don't always have data to support certain things like breathing exercises maybe. But, but when you implement it and you see the results, you know that it's working. Yeah, people's you can't you can't deny the experience of it and actually doing it. So that's the thing that I focus on the most. And learning about the data part, I heard somewhere that you know it takes about seventeen years for data to catch up with, with practice. So I've come to terms with that. Maybe I'm just seventeen or nine years ahead of practice of, of research. But right now we're, you know, we're definitely trailblazing the way here uh, in Milwaukee with mindfulness in schools. Absolutely. Uh, thank you again for sharing all of your amazing wisdom with us. Um, if anybody wants to follow up with you, if you have any more questions, what's the best, best way they can do that? Yeah, so I guess I wear two hats, right? One the nonprofit hat, one the business hat. So I'll just give you my, my business information. My website's ambrosewb.com. A-M-B-R-O-S-E-W-B.com. And if you want to contact me, it's just that website address ambrosewb.com backslash contact you can leave me a message and I'll follow up typically within two to three days and anywhere on social I'm at ambrosewb or 
Ambush WB and the number one. So social, so Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, all, have all the things that the kids have for social media, LinkedIn, for adults. <laughs> Nice. Great. Okay. Great. Thank you so much, Ambrose. And I um, hope you have a great day. You as well. Thank you. you.